0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, other folks will be trickling in, but it's my delight to have a dear brother in the Lord with us, Tony Payne, uh, from Sydney, Australia. Uh, many of you may know Tony through his uh, through his writing. Um, In fact, there's like an anthology of your writings out now. Does that make you feel old? (laughs) Like the Tony Payne Collection? Yes, there is an anthology
1: of writings. I was quite disappointed with the title, though. I I didn't want to call it the Tony Payne Collection. I wanted something um, more self-deprecating. I I was thinking maybe Chronic Pain or The Painful Truth or something like that. But the marketing department went for the Tony Payne Collection.
0: The Tony Payne... Well... um, There's a lot of pain in it. There's a lot of pain in it. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get to talking with Tony. Uh, Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for gathering us in this place and for the precious gift of your son, Jesus, who has made us brothers and sisters, uh, whether we uh, reside here in Birmingham or on uh, the shores of Australia in Sydney. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would uh, do what you promised to do. You've been here, Lord Jesus, as we're gathered together around your word, uh, that you would speak to us and that we might clearly discern uh, your work uh, in this place. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for Tony's family, for allowing him to come over and be with us. And Lord, we do pray that his time here, along with Craig's, uh, would be fruitful. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, who is Tony Payne?
1: Uh, Tony Payne is uh, a country boy who grew up in the, uh, on a cattle farm in northern New South Wales, uh, outside of Sydney. I went to a church, an Anglican church. We call them we call it Anglican in Australia rather than Episcopalian, uh, but same same thing. Went to an Anglican church there that that felt very much like this. In fact, in fact, going to church here this morning was was almost like a trip back to my childhood. Um, uh, moved to Sydney, um, became a Christian in my late teens through a combination of the ministry of an Anglican church and the ministry of Dr. Billy Graham, who uh, who came to Sydney in 1979 and did a crusade at, uh, at the Sydney Racecourse, and that was a decisive moment for me as he, um, as he preached a sermon on Manasseh, the most wicked king of Israel. Yes. Um, the message being, and I still remember this, um, would you say he had a southern accent? Did he have a southern Manasseh? accent? Manasseh. Manasseh. <laughs> Southern Kingdom. Southern Kingdom, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. Southern Kingdom, that's right. yeah. Um, but I, st- I do still remember Dr. Graham. Yes, um, he's,
0: he has a North Carolina accent.
1: Yeah, saying very, very forcefully, you know, if Manasseh could be forgiven, you know, you can be forgiven. I can't do a Southern accent. Yeah. But it was um, very powerful for me as a young person to realize that that's what the gospel was, even though I'd been going to church for some time before that. Mm-hmm. So that was in my late teens. I became a Christian. I've stayed in Sydney um and i've married allison and we've had five children um they're all grown up now our youngest is 24 nearly and our oldest is 31 and we've been blessed with five grandchildren so i'm a very blessed I man i
0: cannot believe you have grandkids i have five i have nearly six next one being born next month okay, i was getting a little bit nervous when i started <laughs> thinking about manasseh and, you know, nearly six um uh, so uh, you came to know the Lord uh, growing up in the church, uh, but the, the penny didn't drop until you heard a sermon uh, from Billy Graham. And uh, you uh, were in Sydney at, at a time that, of course, Billy Graham had been there earlier in the 50s and, and 60s yeah. and had a huge impact on the Anglican church there. Mm. Uh, a lot of the leaders of the diocese coming to know the Lord through the ministry of Billy Graham. And then, uh, but also a time of transition in the Anglican Church in Australia, especially in Sydney, where the culture really had a radical shift and what was once pretty standard, uh, and you could even say Sydney being a very Christian place, it, it seemed overnight became post Christian. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and that's the environment in which you trained up in yeah. for ministry. Um,
1: in saying that Sydney was a very Christian place, um, in, say, the 1960s. It wasn't really. There, there was a veneer of Christianity, of, of moralism, uh, of going to churchism that was still there in the 50s and 60s. Uh, but basically, along came television and people decided that it was much easier to stay home. There, there, there wasn't um, a strength of Christian culture within Australia that's anything like what you know here. Um, s- Australia... Um, always was a pagan place with a very thin veneer of church across uh, across the top of it. Um, Christianity didn't run nearly as culturally deep as it has among you folks. Um, and and so when when the church just fell apart in the 60s and 70s in Sydney, uh, when the nominal Christians just departed in droves, it was just the reality that had always been there becoming apparent. Uh, and so Australia is a very pagan country. It's, it's much more It's much more Canada than it is Alabama, if I can put it that way. It's much more a place that's very post-Christian and that has never really been Christian as a nation in any significant sense. Mm. And that just became a very, very obvious reality come the 1970s, 1980s. um, To give you some idea, for example, the, the Anglicans in Sydney are the strongest and largest Christian Protestant denomination but now we would have something like 60 or 70,000 people in church on Sunday in Sydney, in Anglican churches. Uh, that's something like 2% of the population. Yeah. Like, and, that's, and we're the biggest. So right. Australians are not churchgoers. And the number of genuine, Bible committed Christian people in Sydney is a minute fraction. Of the four and a half million people who live in Sydney, minute fraction, and that's the that's the environment that dawned on us, and that we faced in the in the 70s and 80s in particular, um, and thinking how do we reach, how do we be Christian, and how do we reach this community that's around us, and in my fellowship as Sydney Anglicans, as Episcopalians, imagine you're here in Birmingham, you're a million people, and you realise that as a fellowship, you're two percent of Birmingham, that Birmingham is basically pagan. Apart from this very small atoll island of Christianity within uh, within the midst of it, what do you do? What do you, what's your reaction to that?
0: Hmm. And uh, I can th- tell you, but yeah. go ahead. no, no, no. I, 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 I would like to know that was my <laughs> question. What, what is your reaction to that? Well, there
1: are kind of two. There are two reactions that we wanted to avoid, um, and I'm not saying we tried to sail down the middle. We wanted a third way. Uh, the two reactions we wanted to avoid was, one was to hunker down and circle the wagons um, and be a cultural club for those people who liked the way we did things. And so we would run um, an Anglican church service that was much like the one you guys ran here this morning, that would have been fairly, with a few, min- with a few variations, a, a sort of formal liturgical service. But in the Australian Sydney pagan culture, uh, that is so foreign, so... So strange culturally that for any of those 98% of people to come in to to our service would be like coming into a sort of a museum or a like an historical society that were kind of like a reenactment. You know those reenactment people who kind of reenact the Civil War. Right. It'd be like you're going into a reenactment society that was using language from hundreds of years ago, robes and forms and cultural markers from another country in another period, and you'd be they'd be thinking. Who, who are you people? And you're saying, you've got a message for me that's supposed to change my life and transform me and that is relevant to me now. Um, so one, one, one path was to just hunker down and say, well, never mind. Um, we'll, leave them to their, we'll leave them to their fate. We'll at least enjoy the thing that we enjoy, which is this these forms we've grown up with. Uh, the other reaction, of course, is the complete reverse, which is to throw, throw everything out and say, that's all gone, that's all now valueless, we need to chart a completely new path and have a completely new form of service and worship and outreach and language that connects with contemporary Australia. So when someone comes in, they feel comfortable, they feel like this is them, this is culturally us. Uh, but of course the danger there was that you throw out the things of value, right. you throw out um, the gospel heart and shape of what Anglicanism is. And so the challenge for us that we've been working on for a long time, and by no means are we perfect at it, we've made all sorts of mistakes, is to say, what is it about being a a gospel, Bible-based Anglican Christian? What is it in that Book of Common Prayer and in our forms and in our heritage that is essential and gospel and Bible and must not be lost? And how can we translate that into forms and styles and language and culture that works for a contemporary Australian pagan coming in off the street to visit us or brought along by a friend to think this is somewhere that I can understand what's happening and connect with the message and hear
0: the message and not have cultural barriers in front of the message. And um, what what does that ministry look like on a, on a day-in, day-out basis? Not just Sunday mornings, yeah. but generally speaking. And, and tell us a little bit about your own... Uh, pastoral ministry story, who, sure. who you worked for? Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, all those things.
1: Uh, okay, well, I, I was involved in a, a church called St. Matthias Church, um, the, the patron saint of lost cause, no, the patron saint of gamblers, of course, St. Matthias, Only <laughs> um, he became an apostle because of the uh, the flip of the coin. Um, and we went to St. Went to Matthias, and it was a, a church that was in many ways one of the pioneers of this of this way of thinking and of trying to think through how to how to reach people. And I grew up in that ministry, was part of the staff team of that ministry. Uh, the publishing ministry that we set up and run, it's St Matthias Press as it was called, or Matthias Media, that became my main ministry through the 90s and 2000s and so I didn't do as much pastoral work uh, as writing and publishing or, and writing up and, and writing about the transformations that we were talking about. But what does ministry? Look, it, it, it was um, firstly... I'd say that it was a ministry that was shaped by the reality of mission. Uh, That there was no way to be an Australian, an Australian Christian, and think things are okay. We've got it covered. There's lots of people coming to church. We'll just keep on going the way we're going happily. There's just no way to to be that way when everyone is not a Christian. When hardly anybody is with you, Um, it's mission. You're on mission or you're not alive. Like you've got to be on mission. And so it was a significant facet of Australian church life in Sydney has been rethinking how you would rethink the whole way you're doing church and the ministry outside on Sunday in order to reach out to the, to the lost that are all around you in, in their hundreds and thousands and millions and have never heard the gospel. And, and Something like 65% of people in Sydney do not know any Christian person. Not even a, not even a, a casual contact with any Christian person. Uh, in that sort of environment, uh, if the gospel is the gospel and the Great Commission is what it was and hell and judgment is real, then you've got to rethink completely. And yeah, so th- th- th-
0: that means that 65% theoretically don't have any, any access to, to the gospel if those people who identify as Christians are, are, are motivated to share the gospel. Yeah. Um, and, <clears throat> of course, I mean, uh, coming from off, uh, when I visited Sydney a couple of years back, uh, knowing the reputation of the Anglican Diocese of Sydney, I was walking down to catch the ferry over to uh, Manly Beach and as I was going down, what's the, the name of that pedestrian? St. James? The pedestrian arcade. Uh, the walkway where it's all, pay- people are out and about on uh, the, the, the Pits, streets. Pitt Street, yeah, right? that's Pitt Street. Pitt Street. So mm-hmm. I was walking down Pitt Street Mall and this young man came up to me and, uh, and he said he said, I'm sorry to trouble you but can you tell me how many people in the world are blind? And I thought this guy's going to evangelize me. And I said, as a matter of fact, I do. And he kind of looked at me, and I said, upwards of five billion. And he said, no, it's not that many. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and quickly the tables were totally turned, and I'm telling him about spiritual blindness. And he's like, look, I'm just trying to raise money for the blind society. And so instead of me trying to get away from him, he's like, look, i got other people to hassle, uh, unless you're going to cough it up, buddy. Uh, but... Is the response of people, uh, if you were to explain the gospel to someone, is it apathy, bewilderment? Is it just so foreign, or is there still any sort of cultural sensitivity to it? Or is it even antagonistic? Um, it's, it's varied. So in a city of 4.5 million people,
1: um, there, there are massive different streams uh, of people. Among the educated post-Christian elite among the opinion shapers and gatekeepers of society, there's quite a degree of antipathy now to Christianity. It's not just when in the 80s and 90s I would have said, oh, Christians are kind of quaint, they're irrelevant, but they're harmless enough. Um, But the, uh, the harmless word has now changed to harmful and hateful. Christian speech is hate speech and Christians are harmful. What we teach to children is abuse. Um, to teach children about about judgment, for example, or about right. God, or about sin. This is child abuse, as far as the elites are concerned. So there is real antipathy at one end of the spectrum. Um, however, um, it, it's good not to not to be in the bubble of of um, of opinion television and think that that's the world, um, or that the newspapers. We've sort of asked, our New York Times is kind of like the Sydney Morning Herald. So it's, it's good not to think that the Sydney Morning Herald is the world. If you read the Sydney Morning Herald, you would say that Christianity is not only irrelevant, but harmful and hateful and ought to be dis- discouraged. Um, but there are many, many people in Sydney who are very open to the gospel. Um, we, we have a masses, amount, masses of um, Southeast Asian immigration into Sydney. Uh, it's a very cosmopolitan city. Pe- people from all over the world come to Sydney. and They're coming to Sydney and hearing the gospel and coming to Christ. The fastest growing churches in (coughs) Sydney are Chinese churches. Um, But also we're finding that among millennials, among people coming through, who are almost like a generation behind the cynical post-Christian baby boomer kind of opinion, are spiritually hungry and are ready to talk Mm. and ready to find out are crying out for,
0: for meaning in particular, mm. and f- are living lives that feel meaningless. Well, so there's, there's, yeah. there are opportunities, definitely. Yeah. What does it look like to equip, especially members of a congregation, because um, even with the openness, if you have somebody who says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm open to that... Uh, in the, in the States, especially in the South, the way that we evangelize people is, oh, come to church with me, yeah. which there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, there, there's a sense amongst, I think, a lot of believers that they don't even know how to take the first step when it comes to sharing uh, their faith with other people.
1: Yeah. Uh, there are kind of two things that are developed in our fellowship, that ministry looks like in that res- regard. One was in a, uh, an increasing awareness that... Um, that if our role is, as church is mission, then our role as Christians is mission. That the Great Commission is, is not just a mission to the pastors and professionals um, and the apostles, it's, it's, a, it's a commission to disciples, which is what we all are. And so there's been quite a strong thread r- running through our church life over the last 25 or 30 years to equip and train every Christian to be able to briefly tell their own story, to be able to start with me and my experience And what Christ has done in my life, that's an easier place to start. Um, And then secondly to know the gospel well enough yourself that when you have an opportunity to explain it to somebody there are words that you can say. You have a framework in your head of how a gospel conversation might proceed and so we developed this resource called Two Ways to Live that some of you may have seen which is just a simple six-point gospel outline for the pagan person who doesn't know anything, for the person who's biblically illiterate. Yeah. Um, in Australia, if you're talking to someone, you can't start with the concept of, you know, you're a sinner. Um, let me tell you how God's going to forgive your sins. No, they don't know what sin is. In fact, they don't even know what God it is you're talking about. You've got to go right back to the beginning and talk about the God who made the world, humanity's rebellion against that God, and the consequences of that in God's. Punishment and, and, and anger against the world, and on that backdrop, that's what Jesus is about. He's the one who came to take the punishment that rebels against the Creator God deserve, and that, co- and not only that, but He rose from the dead so that we can have new life and a fresh start. And that calls upon us for a response. There's two ways to live in sort of 30 seconds, sort of six logical kind of steps. that starts way back. Um, way back back at the beginning. So, one of the responses was to train Christians to know that framework, to have that in their minds and hearts, so that when you're having a conversation and an opportunity arises, you've got something to say, you've got somewhere to go, you've got a framework at least to to chat, to talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing that has been very big in Sydney over the last 20 years are gospel events or courses or opportunities that are outside church. And so, for many Sydney people, for many Australians, just going inside a church building is a very foreign and strange thing and a big first step. Like, if you imagine, if you've never been to church in your life, your parents have never been to church in their lives, when you you hear a crossword puzzle that says five letters, baby um, who was saved from the bulrushes, you've got no concept of what that is. You might say Jesus, you know. um, that was, that's what my brothers would say. When you've got no concept of anything, walking into a church building is a big step. It's a very big step. And so we run a lot of evangelistic things outside of church. Mm. Um, uh, dinners that people can come to and talk about Christianity over five or six weeks, those kind of things. Mm.
0: That's been big. Yeah, we're, we're seeing pockets of that, even in Birmingham, of people who are, are generally uh, clueless about who Jesus is and and where they stand in relation to God. Yeah. But I think in Birmingham, what we deal more with are people who are churched, yeah. and yet don't have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, there were some statistics that came out recently uh, in, a, in a ministry in the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. So this is an in-house survey that was done, and out of the Thousands of Episcopalians that the people that identified as Episcopalian, out of all of them, 76% said that they didn't have a personal relationship with God. I'm an Episcopalian, but they couldn't come to a place where they said, Jesus is at the center of my life, and because of him I have a relationship with God. So how do you evangelize those people?
1: Well, I was just about to ask you, Andrew, yes. how do you evangelize yeah. those people?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because
1: mo- the, tr- the truth is that most of those people left our churches in the 60s and 70s.
0: And so a lost generation, really. Yeah, yeah, of oh. of
1: people with some church content and background of some kind, but who effectively just left. Because in our context, it was no longer culture, had any cultural cachet or norm or, or normality that you would be in church. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And so, it, it kind of what you're, what you're talking about reminds me of the church more of my youth, when there were lots of people in church, right. and a great many of them uh, not understanding the gospel. Um, so, how do you what, what do you do about it? <laughs> Question. Sorry, you're the interviewer. No, okay. No, 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 it,
0: no. I mean, I think that this is uh, this is something that we're seeing, and um, and in fact, you know that. There's just so many layers that have been laid on top of the Christian faith in the United States with the political dynamic and all of that kind of stuff that, I mean, I will have people. I had someone come into my office uh, not that long ago who said, I think I get this Jesus thing, and I think I want to be a Christian, but I'm a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, they just couldn't – they couldn't parcel yeah. all of that kind of stuff out, and um, – yeah, perhaps I can say something
1: helpful. One of the... Um, Please do. Yeah, <laughs> that was helpful. Um, one of the... Uh, I was talking about how we are running, running evangelistic kind of courses outside of the church context. What a number of churches have done that do still have, uh, we, we, we call them nominal Christians, mm-hmm. uh, members who aren't really connected with God, right. is run one of those courses within the ch- life of the church um, and not frame it as, as this is for non-Christians, because it's, it's very hard to tell, Right. and who would want to judge that? Um, but say, this is for all of us. We're all going to go back to basics, and we're all going to go and examine um, the, the real core and foundation of what we believe, because that's always strengthening to do that. Why don't we all do that together? Right. And as we do that together, people realize, hang on, I, I actually hadn't got those foundations in place at all. And the Alpha Course, if some of you heard of the Alpha Course, that's essentially what the Alpha Course is and how the Alpha Course began mm-hmm. uh, within, the, within the English church to do v- that very thing, to help a lot of the people who are coming to church get back to the basics and figure out that, in fact, they hadn't got the basics mm-hmm. in place.
0: Uh, so, uh, before I open up to questions, just about Sydney, you know, uh, in America, typically the most Christian of places are in the South, and more particularly in rural areas. Hmm. Uh, But in Australia, Sydney is kind of the epicenter of Christianity, Uh, and and it seems that the urban centers have a a stronger evangelical witness uh, than the rural areas.
1: That's true. It's partly because Australia just is a much more urban nation than you think. Uh, We like to perpetuate the mythos of um, the rugged Australian, the uh, co- man from Snowy River, the man from Snowy. Seen River. it a hundred times. One of my favourites. That's right, Crocodile Dundee. Like this yeah. is uh, this is the mythos we like to promote, and that's of course who I really am. I yeah. could wrestle a crocodile, no problem. <laughs> that wouldn't be a drama. I've got a knife. You've seen me you with it just. I saw you shaving this morning. To, yes, <laughs> you know, yeah, shaving with my knife this morning. Um, whereas in fact, Australia is just about the most urbanised nation in the world. Um, certainly. Relative to size, so relative to geographic size, we are, are, I think, the most urbanised nation in the world. We're all clustered on the coast, most most Australians live in cities and so it's partly we do not have a very big rural and regional population but because of accidents of history, um, especially in the Anglican Church, um, at the time of the Anglo-Catholic revival in the Anglican Church in the mid-19th century, um, many many uh, of those priests were actually expelled from England and they all came to Australia and they populated a lot of, the ru- a lot of rural Australia, a lot of the churches. And so many of the uh, dioceses and parishes around rural and regional Australia have that heritage, um, which is uh, kind of much closer to Catholicism in its practice right. and, and certainly in, in its doctrine and preaching. And yeah. so one of the reasons regional Anglicanism is often weak in Australia, it's, it's, that's historical...
0: Um, factors. Right. Mm-hmm. Questions for for Tony.
1: Uh, yes, two ways to live. It in a publication. It's in several publications. So um, there's a little. Th- the simplest and easiest one is there's a little uh, a little booklet called Two Ways to Live, the choice we all face. I have thousands point. of them. He's he's got. He's, got them. He's probably got one in your back pocket. So. And tell about the app. There's an app. There is an app, but the app's not working. Sorry, the app has failed. The app has, has been overtaken by system updates. Whose voice is on the app? Um, it's probably mm-hmm. mine, I think. I don't know. I no? don't think so. No, I don't know whose voice oh, oh, Kel Richards. That's, That's a, a, an, Australian, uh, an Australian broadcaster. who's a Christian who did,
0: did that oh. for us. But it's a, you can... Yeah. I have them. I think the bookstore has them. But if, if, you just, if you'd like some... Uh, but I think one of the great things about Two Ways is it's not really meant to be a tract that you would just sort of hand to somebody and say, sort it out, buddy. Yeah. Uh, but it's something that you would come alongside someone with. And it's, it's almost um, not a catechesis, but yeah. it, what's great about it is you it can is kind of catechesis. butt in wherever they are. So it's not like you start with page one because they might have a working knowledge of sin. So you go to. Yeah.
1: There's also an online you can go to twowaystolive.com and there's an online version to look at and to understand. Uh, And there's a training program um, that's really the heart of the whole thing because the the essence of it as a method is not that you just hand someone a leaflet or even that you memorise and just kind of blurt the the gospel onto somebody as as a kind of a pre-prepared spiel, um, but that you deeply learn these six categories, these six ideas and, and mull them over and memorize some verses and get it really in your head so that you're ready for a conversation. It's a It's a framework for a conversation. So, yeah, worth checking out. David...
0: Let me repeat that because the microphone's not working, shockingly. Um, <laughs> if the attitude toward Christianity is apathy, what is the attitude in Sydney toward Islam?
1: It's nice to know that microphones fail the world over. Because yeah. you guys have a great operation here, so it's, it's actually comforting to know your microphones also fail.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, in Sydney, Islam is growing through immigration. Um, it's not big generally in Australia, and even within Sydney, it's a very small population. Generally, Australians are, are fairly relaxed and uh, we're very successful multiculturally in the way that America is actually incredibly successful as a multicultural nation. Uh, and we have been as well in, in integrating and rubbing, rubbing along with each other and getting on fine. Uh, and so I would say most places in Sydney, um, Christian... Uh, uh, Muslims and Anglo-Australians or other live together reasonably happily, it goes well. Um, There are, of course, some more um, hardcore elements uh, and you'd say the sort of more fundamentalistic uh, Islamists in Sydney and that's a problem. We've had some terrorist incidents and some plots and and that is an issue for us. Uh, But I think most Australians are scared of that but like their Muslim neighbours, that's what I would say like that we're a react reactment club group whatever but uh which we are and we will continue to be as long as the gospel is there but there are i suppose churches that reenact every sunday where the gospel is not Hmm. proclaimed that's right uh, yeah how do you uh how do you reach out to those quote non-gospel churches that say are in our diocese that uh have no use for the gospel yeah it, it's incredibly sad and difficult isn't it um it, it, in it, that's uh, certainly sydney is strong as a as an event evan- we're a bible gospel evangelical kind of anglican diocese in that sense but it's not uniform and there's many churches where the gospel uh, there are some churches not many there are some churches in sydney where that's the case and many churches around australia Um, The the only progress I've seen is is through through personal relationship. So through two things, through personal relationship where um, Christians know people in those congregations and get next to them and share the Gospel and the Bible with them and you see that kind of growth just through the personal relationship with other Christian people, uh, not from the the pulpit. The other thing that that has happened uh, and does continue to happen is that those churches get into such a dire state because when you don't preach the gospel, um, certainly in Australia, what reason is there to go to church? I mean, there's, there's no social benefit. Um, you don't get any points in Australia for going to church on Sunday. Uh, and if it's this kind of fairly dead thing with not much content, um, yeah, th- th- those churches decline and they can't afford their ministers. And what has happened on numerous occasions is that someone gets appointed into those churches who who does
0: have a gospel message and sees some revival, but that's, that's a long, hard road. Yeah. Let's pray. I'm sorry, Clark, but you can get with Tony. He has no responsibility after this, uh, so he'll pray. But let's pray to make way for the 11 o'clock folks. Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray uh, that we would uh, look at this world as you look at this world, and that we would love this world as you love this world, and that we might be uh, equipped and strengthened uh, to take the gospel to our neighbors and even unto the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, Mm. amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.